Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. Coming to you from Portugal in Porto. You can almost see the ocean from this little teeny weeny hotel room that I've got. <laughs> it's kind of uh, not exactly what I'm accustomed to, but it's uh, it, it's nice and clean. So on the way up here, I took the train from Lisbon. I listened to a recent podcast from my good buddy Tom Woods. And I was actually very encouraged because uh, I, I see more and more people talking about the World Economic Forum, the UN, the IMF, the global elite, but not just from a standpoint of being globalists or something like that, but uh, maybe more so from them just being Malthusian and uh, their core objectives being, you know, because everyone talks about them from a standpoint of climate change. But now I'm hearing more and more people talking about their, their what I think is pretty obvious, their two main objectives. They're very explicit about this. They're not really hiding this, uh, that they want fewer people on the planet Earth. And of the people that are on the planet Earth, they want them using a lot less energy. So they want their standard of living to decline. And I think that uh, climate change is just a way to market that idea to a broader audience. Because if they just came right out and said, hey, we want you guys to lower your standard of living and have fewer kids, they, you know, people would look at that like, you're, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. But if they sell it to you, what, like, oh, we need to do this because if we don't do this, then the world is going to come to an end. Well, then that's an easier pill to swallow. Now, all of a sudden, reducing your standard of living or having fewer kids or getting an abortion or whatever it is becomes um, uh, it's an honor to do that. It, it's, it's your moral duty to do this. And uh, so, again, I, you guys know that I've been talking about this for quite some time, and I've done presentations on it uh, going all the way back to 2020. And um, I actually did a presentation on this at, at the uh, New Orleans Investment Conference uh, with this theme, right? And how uh, the, these their two main objectives, kind of where they came from, this timeline. And I started going back to 1968 in the Club of Rome. And then I discussed the World Economic Forum starting in 1971 and then the limits to growth, that paper that became very popular from the Club of Rome that came out in 1972 and how it just uh, kind of progressed. But it is all on this, uh, the, the, the ideas of Thomas Malthus going back to the 1800s. And it was just a regurgitated view of that. And then they started to kind of repackage it in the late uh, 1970s. But it was a very easy transition because the Club of Rome was talking about, um, uh, or they're insinuating, you know, the problems with the, the the human beings being on the earth and them polluting the earth and whatnot. So it's a very easy transition into climate change. And more recently, we've saw we've seen this um, uh, scientist uh, or biologist. I believe his name is uh, was it Enric uh, Peter Enric. Probably mispronouncing that, but he was on sixty Minutes. And he was, uh, you know, he had a book that came out in 1968 as well, I believe, that was uh, The Population Bomb or something. And uh, I found it interesting that he was arguing that the world was basically going to come to an end due to uh, the world getting colder. And now it's uh, as a result of the world getting warmer. <laughs> it kind of shifts a little bit. But, uh, you know, when I was talking about this, a lot of people were talking about, by no means the first one, but... When I started talking about this in, in 2020, I think uh, I remember because I, I started doing Greek Great Reset or videos on the Great Reset when I was in St. Bart's 
That's why I remember it so well. Because that was such a unique time there in the middle of uh, 2020 for obvious reasons. And uh, I, again, I wasn't the first person to talk about it, but I think maybe from an economic standpoint and then kind of connecting the dots between that, the central bank digital currency, and then showing that uh, maybe their, their, their main objectives here might not be climate change, but more so reducing population and reducing the standard of living because they want to reduce the, the energy usage. So they want to reduce the population really in the poorer countries, and then they want to reduce energy use in the in the richer countries. And they want when they talk about equity and whatnot, they're really talking about uh, not increasing equity by increasing the standard of living in the poor countries, but by increasing equity by decreasing the standard of living in the rich countries. Like Margaret Thatcher said, they want everyone to basically be equally poor. And now they won't come right out and say this. But when you just read between the lines and connect the dots, it's very easy. It's not like, uh, you know, a conspiracy theory where you're just really grasping at straws to come to these conclusions. It's pretty much just taking what they say at face value and just putting a couple things together. And there you go. But with the, the depopulation, you know, obviously they say that explicitly. Uh, they explicitly say how we need fewer people on the planet Earth. So my main contention is, OK, well, I'm not saying that they are. Uh, they started the war with Russia and Ukraine. But if you were someone that was adamant about the world having fewer people, would you be okay with a nuclear war? I mean, you know, where do you draw that line? You say, yes, yes, George, I get it. I get it. They want fewer people on earth. But I mean, that doesn't mean that they are, that they want disease or that doesn't mean that they want famine or that doesn't mean that they want war. Really? You don't think that some of them would be okay with that? You don't think that some of them would argue that that would be a lesser of two evils? So anyway, uh, as you guys know, I've been talking about this extensively since 2020. And, and back then, it was kind of fringe to do that. Uh, but now it's becoming more and more mainstream, which I think is absolutely great news. And uh, the podcast that I wanted to refer you to, the one that I listened to on the way up here from, from Lisbon, was this podcast from my good buddy Tom Woods. And let's uh, shoot over to that right now. And I'm not going to play it, but I just want to show you guys which episode it is. So Tom takes his podcasts and puts them up on YouTube, but it's just the audio. So you can go to iTunes and listen to this or wherever you listen to podcasts. And it's his recent, and I would suggest listening to the whole thing. It's fantastic. And it's uh, with author Michael Rechtenwald. And, um, you know, this guy is an established author. Uh, he's, I'm sure, a lot more respected than I am, just some schmuck on YouTube. So, you know, I, I like to see schmucks on YouTube talking about this like me, but I like it even better when people who are a lot smarter than I am, like Tom, or people who are significant authors like Michael Rechtenwall are really not only talking about this, but Michael just wrote a book on it. And uh, his new book is called The Great Reset and the Struggle for Liberty. And if you listen to this podcast, which again, I'd encourage you to do, you'll see that um, he pretty much came to the exact same conclusions that I came to, which I think it also is 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 rather interesting. And, um, and also, you know, for me personally, it, it, it's, it's nice to see that, that other people in the liberty space are coming to the exact same conclusions without, I've never talked to these guys, right? Well, I've talked to Tom, 
but I don't know that Tom and I discussed this specifically when I interviewed him, but I've never spoken with Michael. And so it, it again, it's, it's good to see that, you know, he's doing all this independent research, which is probably a lot more extensive than I did because he wrote a whole book on it for heaven's sakes. And he's pretty much, if you just took bullet points of, uh, of what he discussed with, with uh, Tom, which I believe is pretty much a summary of the, the main points of the book, it'll be just like watching a George Gammon video. It'll be the, the Malthusian background. I mean, he went even, he took it before the club of Rome. And I guess there, there were a few entities that I can't remember what they go back to the 1930s or I, I can't, you'll have to listen to the episode, but the, the, these, uh, they preceded the club of Rome and the club of Rome was basically an extension of these groups that were set up and uh, they kind of followed the same rules and had the same format. And then the world economic forum was just an extension of these. And that pretty much what is what started, or that was pretty much uh, the next evolution of these Malthusian ideas uh, that we see playing out right in front of us today. And then he also linked their desire to control population and to control energy use and basically the standard of living with their desire to implement a central bank digital currency. And even if the argument for a central bank digital currency has merit, um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's just like the lockdowns where you've got to do a cost benefit analysis and that cost benefit analysis has to include giving the government that type of power. Another uh, section of a podcast that I listened to today was with Patrick Bet David and uh, Neil, uh, Josh, what's the astrophysicist name? Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Ne thanks, thanks. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, obviously a real smart guy. Uh, but they went back and forth for about 25 minutes and were debating the, the medicine. And they were debating the lockdowns, basically. And um, it, it, it was just wild because, you know, I've done a lot of research on this stuff for my videos, as you guys know. And uh, Neil had, a, a t his arguments were terrible. Like, like he, it, it, it almost seemed like he had done maybe five or 10 minutes of research on the medicine. I have a clip of it right now, if you want to listen to it. How long is the clip? A minute long. But I like, it was just a complete joke. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think, uh, put it up there so that people can get the link. But I mean, I can pretty much summarize. And, uh, you know, again, he's a real smart guy, but I don't really think he's he's thought through this. Uh, at least if he has, he really didn't articulate. And, you know, Patrick Bet David uh, didn't articulate the argument as well as like a, a Brett Weinstein would. But, you know, that's not his thing. The dude's an entrepreneur, I but it, it, I, I think that Patrick Bet David has probably looked into this a little more than Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, if, if that's his name. Hey, guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, 
Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. My point there is that uh, one of his huge blind spots was the fact that you're giving the government this type of power, right? And, and you know what's interesting, too? The people that really push back against the medicine and the lockdowns, very few of them made that argument, which I was really surprised by. And, uh, you know, I was with uh, Robert Malone in Mexico City because I was there speaking with him at Simon Black's Sovereign Man conference uh, that he has with his, uh, like, the I don't know if it's a mastermind, but some of his... Uh, some of his clients there, some of his followers. And I didn't really have that much time to sit down and talk to uh, Dr. Malone. I would have liked to because we went back and forth when I was up on stage because he was asking me some questions on central bank digital currencies, which I think, which I was very inspired by. So I know a lot of you probably follow Dr. Malone, but just realize that if you follow him just for the, the medicine stuff, just know that he is really on top of the macro issues as well, such as central bank digital currencies. I was up there on stage and I opened it up to questions when I got done speaking. And he was one of the first person uh, people to ask a question. And he asked a couple questions and his questions were very in-depth. You could tell that this was someone who had done a lot of research on central bank digital currencies. So for, for someone in that position to uh, have that type of knowledge and to obviously be very interested in that topic, uh, again, for me, it was, uh, it was very inspiring. But anyway, um, even th- those types of people, I haven't heard them argue about the slippery slope. And I argued, as you guys know, about, uh, was it Jacobson versus Massachusetts? in 1905 and that was with uh, the smallpox medicine and i believe it was 1905 and uh and how that ruling led to the ruling that we got in 1927 or 1929 which was buck versus bell which basically legalized eugenics and uh, you know that that's what we have to realize that when we're giving the government this type of power, they might not use it against you, or they might not use it in horrific ways in the next year or two, and they might never use it. But you have to at least set aside the possibility of them doing something like that, and 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 factoring that into your current cost benefit analysis. And my original point there was that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson just obviously never even thought about that. And then he was arguing for the mandates and he wasn't even talking about it from a standpoint of age stratification. And, uh, you know, even if you want, you know, and he was talking as though the medicines prevented transmission, which (laughs) obviously now they don't, they weren't even, they weren't even uh, tested for that. But let's just assume for a moment they did. Well, then what you're doing, because we know, we knew very early on that it would, that it was age specific to a certain degree. 
So what you'd do if you wanted a mandate for everyone, which is what Neil was arguing for, that you would be saying, okay, we, we want young people to get sick in order to prevent old people from getting sick. And we want to risk the lives of young people to save the lives of old people. And that's that's insane to do that. Completely insane. So anyway, uh, just a, a big blind spot there. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing with the giving the, the globally or giving the politicians, giving whomever more and more power just under the name of, well, we've got to save the planet or we've got to do or we've got to reduce energy or we've got to get off fossil fuel. Or we've got to do again. That's a cost benefit analysis that only you can do for yourself. But you have to include the potential in the future for those individuals to use that power against you, your family, your friends, and everything that you believe in. And when you do, the, 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 it becomes, at least to me, a lot more clear that we should be very, very apprehensive, to say the least, <laughs> no matter what's happening in the short term. And I'll give you another podcast that you might want to listen to that ties right into this, uh, is a, a, a um, Odd Lots is the Bloomberg podcast, I believe. And it fe- back in 2020, right in March, it featured Zoltan talking to another kind of uh, guy that knows the plumbing. And his name was Perry. I-, I can't recall his last name. But they were discussing what the Federal Reserve was doing back in March of 2020. And they were both saying how they acted uh, very, very quickly and they did the right thing. But none of them, neither of them, talked about how what they were doing today would impact tomorrow. Or what they had done in the past during the GFC impacted what the problems are today. None of them, neither of them, they they just analyzed the current situation as though it was just happening in a bubble or a vacuum. And I was just, I was shocked that, especially these guys that are, you know, the smartest guys in the room would sit there and say that, well, the Fed's doing X, Y, and Z, they have to act quickly and they're doing the right thing. In fact, I think Zoltan said they're, Acting heroically was the specific word he used without even acknowledging, well, okay, yes, they might be acting heroically, but we have to understand that this may lead to some unintended consequences in two, five years, who knows, that could possibly could be worse than them letting the free market just clear today, even if it's just would create a disaster as a result of this once in a hundred year problem. It's just, it's really weird. It seems as though the the more academically inclined people are, the the more they're, uh, the more they have this blind spot to where they analyze a cost benefit analysis based on what is happening right now. And they completely ignore that same cost benefit analysis 10 years prior and how that may have got us to where we are and how the decisions today may impact what we have in 10 years. And as you guys know from watching my videos, I I don't know that sound money, although it's desirable, I don't know that it's a pan. Well, I know it's not a panacea. If you just look at the data, it's not. um, We have to really persuade people that small government is the way to to move forward. Um, Sound money in and of itself, I don't think will result in, 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 um, in small government. Right. But I think that in that also shows the importance of, of using a cost benefit analysis and understanding 
that there are no solutions. Uh, there are only trade-offs. And it's just, again, it's it's bizarre to me that people that are that smart, or, or maybe they just can't come out and say it, right? Because they're on Bloomberg, they work for Credit Suisse, and it, it's not kosher to criticize the Fed. But my main point there is even I would come out and say that, uh, okay, well, I don't know that we can blame the Fed specifically for the amount of government spending or the size of government, as an example. Because if, if you look at like... One statistic I always use is from 1913 to 1968, the federal government spent two, about two to three trillion dollars and the Fed had about 50 billion on their balance sheet. So that's maybe two, 2.5 percent. Uh, so to say that the the, the Fed was the reason uh, G- government spending a, a, as a percentage of GDP in 1968 was, let's say, 25 percent, 30 percent, you can't really say that. <laughs> but now that's not to say that uh, I'm a big fan of the Fed. You know, a, a lot of the pushback I get on Twitter is I'll, I'll bring up that statistic and uh, and I'll say, well, I, I like sound money. I think it's desirable, but I don't think it's a panacea. And I think it's a mistake to view it as such. And then the immediate response I get is, oh, well, you love the Fed or, oh, well, you love fiat currency, huh? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's what's funny is it's the same pushback that I got when I was talking about a cost-benefit analysis with um, sanctions against Russia. Remember that, Josh, when we were talking about when that first came out, that was a very unpopular view. Remember back then, everyone- oh, yeah. you were getting scorched. You, you had to have the Ukrainian flag, and oh my gosh, you had to pledge your allegiance to Zelensky, and you, you had to sit down and, and denounce everything that Russia was doing, and any action that we had against Russia, you had to be behind it. Remember why? Well, we got to do something, right? That was very unpopular. And I remember when I came out and initially said, whoa, time out here. We, we want to do a cost benefit with these sanctions and kicking Russia off of SWIFT and whatnot. That, that's, that might not be in our benefit long term. And the pushback that I got 90% on Twitter was, oh, well, you love Putin? Oh, you're a big Putin fan, huh? Like, no, no. I want to do a cost-benefit analysis here. And it's just funny that people have that same default when I say that, well, let's do a cost-benefit on uh, on uh, sound, quote-unquote, sound money. Not even a cost-benefit, but just realize that although it's desirable, it's not a panacea. Oh, well, you, you love the Fed. You love central planning. Oh, George didn't know that. Oh, you're coming out of the closet. Fiat, huh? <laughs> it's like, it's just weird that people, uh, maybe that's what Jim Rickard says. You know, I, I've heard him say so many times that uh, not that I'm smart or anything. I'm no smarter than anyone on this live stream. But he says that uh, the people that maybe can think through certain topics are the ones that have the ability to hold two opposing ideas in their head at the same time. And uh, maybe that wasn't Rick. I just heard him say that all the time. So maybe it wasn't him who said it originally. But it seems like that that's what what. I get with the the sound money stuff, and I, that's what I got with the the, the sanctions against Russia uh, when they first came out. Maybe that's the lesson for all of us to make sure that that we're able to do that. We practice doing that uh, as much as we can, so that we're not falling into just kind of uh, you know putting blinders on and just looking to go on YouTube and uh, and. Uh, you know, get our confirmation bias fix for the day, because that's not going to make us any better investors. That's not going to make us better critical thinkers. 
And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. But uh, circling back here to the main topic of this video, it's uh, it, it's great to see these guys that are out there, respected authors, that are now start writing books on the Great Reset Agenda, and uh, and and you know coming to a lot of the same conclusions that we talk about on this channel all the time, and that's that these people, the global elite, are are a Malthusian cult. That's I mean. When we first started saying that, it sounded a little outrageous, but now it just like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much uh, people are starting to acknowledge that and accept that to be true. And that's a great step towards freedom and liberty, because one of the conclusions that uh, that Michael Rechtenwald discusses or, or one of the uh, solutions that he has or suggests at the end of his book that they discuss in the podcast is Again, something we talk about all the time, that there's more of us than there is of them. So this is by no means a foregone conclusion, but we just have to wake people up because they're not going to push back unless we wake them up. And I, I guess, again, the thing that's really encouraging here is I, I'm seeing more and more people who are a lot smarter than I am and are very influential that are not only waking up to this, but starting to talk about it uh, out loud. And therefore, they're going to get a lot more people, a lot of the normies out there, doing the exact same thing. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your, I guess, afternoon. Um, it's weird for me because it's 5.18 p.m. The sun's going down. <laughs> uh, but I might try to do another video uh, tonight. I'm just doing them sporadically here when I'm kind of traveling. It's Portugal, it's Istanbul next week, and then and then Dubai as well. So uh Going to try to set up a brokerage account in, in Istanbul, same thing in Dubai, but I'll keep you guys posted on all that. As always, stand up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism, and we'll see you on the next video.